following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance. Hello, and welcome back to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Steve Edelman. Uh, This week, we're going to revisit a story that we aired last time, uh, which is talking about coronavirus and event cancellation, featuring our very own uh, head of Event Safety Alliance Canada, Janet Celery, because when we were last talking with Janet, uh, she still had on the schedule the Canadian Event Safety Summit scheduled for the end of March of this year. And since then, which was only a week ago, uh, things have changed. And so to quote a line from the famous economist Paul Samuelson, when things change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? Um, You may not know who Paul Samuelson is, but I love the line. So what we're going to talk about is changing your mind, even when looking back at the reasons for your decisions kind of make you cringe. um, It's important to let new facts guide new decisions, especially now when we are being flooded with information, some of it right, some of it not so right. And so it's really incumbent on people who have decisions to make to stay on top of the information that's available. And so we're going to check back in with Janet Celery, and she's going to tell us the path that she traveled from the show is going on to so sorry the show is canceled. Um, And I think that you'll find that very interesting because it is, as you would suspect, not a linear path at all. Um, Also on today's podcast, we're going to check in with safety origin stories, the stories that we recorded at Rock Lidditz during the Event Safety Summit last November. And the reason we're going to do that is, especially with coronavirus being all-consuming right now, we really want to avoid everyone just staring at their own navel and, you know, searching endlessly for hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Where is it? Where can I get it? Because eventually this is going to pass. We are going to survive. We will go back to work. We will put on shows. People want to congregate in public again. They'll feel safe doing that. And so the mission of the Event Safety Alliance to help people work safely, attend shows safely, that's going to continue. And so we're going to try to lift our heads up just a little to remember a more benign time when people were thinking about health and safety at shows that were actually staying on the calendar. So we, we hope that that will provide you with a small ray of light here in these otherwise very dark days. So with that, um, Allow me to introduce Janet Celery of Celery Health and Safety in Stratford, Ontario, Canada, and head of the Canadian uh, Event Safety Alliance, and of course, Danielle Hernandez from Furman University. Um, so, Janet, you had a large event scheduled for Toronto at the end of March this month, and it's no longer on the schedule. How did you go from on the schedule to not? Uh, With a lot of thought and consideration, Steve, um, my mom has a saying that has come in handy in the last little while, and it's, well, that changes the water on the beans. 
and the water has been changed on our beans. Um, it's kind of hard to believe that our last podcast was recorded on Monday, March the 9th. And at that time, I felt confident that the risk for our event of 200 people in Toronto would be low. Um, I looked at credible sources of information. We reviewed the global impacts, but we really focused on the local situation. And so we decided to go forward at that point. Hey, hey Janet, let me just interrupt because we don't know when podcast listeners will be listening. So right. we recorded your decision to carry on. You said Monday, March 9? Yes. Right now, as we're recording this, it is Friday morning, March 13. It's the same week. Yes, yes. Things have changed very, very quickly. Um, and, you know, when I listened back to the original podcast, one of the things that I said a couple of times was that we needed to be ready to pivot and make a different decision if we had new information. So things have been percolating. Um, I would say up until Wednesday afternoon, we were still feeling we could go forward. But that evening, I had a conference call with our advisory council. Uh, so I'm lucky enough to have eight people with a wide range of experience and expertise and uh, perspectives. They come from different provinces in Canada. And we talked first and foremost about evidence-based science. As you will recall, Wednesday, March the 11th, was the day that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 to be a global pandemic. So that's a big, big deal. Um, we also saw a change locally in terms of what the status of for the illness in Ontario, our province. So when we, you know, Monday, March the 9th, we had 30 confirmed positive cases. Today, March the 13th, we have 54. So that's a lot more cases. We've also done a lot more testing. So we went from Monday, 2,403 tests. As of today, we're at 4,185. But we understand that we are weeks away from peak infection and that many more people are expected to become ill and die. So when we had our conference call, we, we, I sort of went around and talk to everybody about what they were hearing, what was coming back to them about how people are feeling about events. Um, certainly, COVID-19 is top of mind for everyone. People are stressed. They're worried about their families. They're worried about their livelihoods. Uh, they don't want to travel. They don't want to get together in groups. And we also raised the question of, wow, what happens if someone gets sick at a safety conference? How terrible would that be? We went on to explore some ideas around changing our conference to a webcast, but we agreed that the experience that we wanted to provide to people would be very different because we would be missing out on the interaction, we would be missing out on the networking, which is a very important part of those kinds of conferences. So with heavy hearts, um, but confidence, we made a decision to postpone the conference. Uh, we are still planning to offer a short webinar on the date that it would have taken place at the end of March. Um, and we felt, you know, we felt that was the right choice to make. Um, we will look to rescheduling for next fall. Um, and so with that, we sort of had a list of what are we going to do? Who do we need to notify? In what order? In what manner? 
Um, and after ending the call, we learned that the USITT conference had also been canceled, followed by many, many more cancellations that came out both uh, yesterday and even today. So uh, what else would you like to know about it, Steve? So well, Janet, be before Steve talks, uh, this is Danielle from, Hi, from Danielle. university. Uh, I just want to say that I am so proud of everyone in this industry who has made those hard choices. It's heartbreaking to, to put aside something that we've worked for months or years that shows with the children that have practiced for, you know, what seems to them their entire lives to say, you know what, we'll come back and do it another time. It it's really takes a lot of courage. So thank you for having that courage. And thank you to everyone who's listening, who's also made those hard choices to say, you know what, for the greater good, we're going to pause and hunker down. And when this passes, we will come back and we'll celebrate all of those conferences and shows and performances and recitals. We'll celebrate those with all of you. And that's really helpful information to hear because if anyone else is on the cusp of making this kind of a decision, it really is hard. You know, I think we are so hardwired to, you know, the show must go on. We are accustomed to overcoming adversity. You know, a, a lead dancer twists an ankle, uh, an opera singer loses her voice. Um, you know, that's that's what we do. You know, someone misses a scene change. We figure it out on the fly and with tremendous skill. You know, I, I look at all these people putting shows together and I'm always in awe at what they are able to pull off. And typically without the audience having a clue it's amazing what, what's what going on, right? The half tape and safety pins in the wings. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, but, but so much of that is about the... Um, the versatility and the motivation and the commitment of the people. It's really about the people who pull these things off. Yes. So it was a hard choice. Yes. And, and speaking of the people, we are very aware of everyone whose livelihood is taking a major hit right now and hang in there. We're, we're all basically in the same boat and hopefully we'll be providing some resources to find some part-time work, to find some mental health support, to find some community, to find things to do now that you can wear colors every day if you want. Um, so hopefully that will be- black in solidarity because I- <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at my shirt today and I said, I can wear any color. This any color, stripes, black, go bananas. White, it's so weird. If there anyway. were a color darker than black, I'd be wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Says the um, lawyer. Says the lawyer. <laughs> like wearing black. Can I tell you? All right, so, Steve. So I, I kind of cut you off before. Well, no, your your comments are obviously very well founded, and it provides the right segue, which is, Janet, you had some contracts. You laid out some money, and at least in Ontario, from a legal standpoint, it's not a force majeure event yet, and. You didn't have insurance coverage. So, you know, this is the scenario that we discussed on the last podcast where neither the law nor insurance provides you with a remedy. You could have been out of pocket a lot of money. Right. But how? <laughs> and I know that you were, you were worried about that. Who wouldn't be? Yes, it's true. Um, so it's not a force majeure situation, a word that I am trying to have 
tip, trip off my tongue uh, now that Steve has taught me how to pronounce it properly. Um, but we have not been ordered by our province to shut events down. Some provinces in Canada have said, don't do events of more than 250 people. We were at 200. Um, but mostly people are kind of responding to what they're reading in the news. They're responding to their gut. They're also responding to, you know what, people just don't want to go out there and put themselves or others at risk. So we need to be, we need to be aware of that. In terms of what our next steps are, um, the very first thing I wanted to do was reach out and let people know because there were so many questions swirling. Uh, we prioritized our sponsors and our speakers. Just in that was the initial uh, email so that they would understand what's coming. They wouldn't, you know, see it in their Facebook feed. The next folks I got in touch with were all our registered attendees through Eventbrite. And then I put out newsletters to our list and then finally have gotten around to social media. Um, so other people, depending on your audience, you'll maybe have a different order, but that's what we chose to do. I also reached out to our venue, which is the Art Gallery of Ontario, and, um, you know, I'm contractually bound, but they have been extremely generous in that they will allow us to rebook without penalty. Now, I do need to sign a contract before our event date for something in the fall, which I will do. Um, and there is a note in the email that, you know, we can revisit that as we get closer to the new date. I mean, goodness knows, we're all hoping that by next fall, this is a thing of the past, uh, but there's no guarantee of that. Uh, we also, I've also been in touch with the hotel. Um, they want me to rebook the rooms. On that one, I'd rather get a cancellation, but um, we're still in conversation about that. Um, the hotel had sent out a really lovely email from their president and CEO saying, everybody can have um, cancellations, even if it's a no cancellation booking. So I forwarded that on to my contract who said, oh, well, that was for individual bookings. You've got eight rooms booked, so it doesn't apply to you. So we're going to see how that one plays out. I was not, I was not impressed by that. That was not generous. Um, so how are people responding? That was another thing I was worried about. Um, we have so far had two inquiries about refunds. Uh, for the most part, I've been clear with people that we are looking at next steps. We're figuring out the details. We'll get in touch early next week. I'm hoping that many people will say, you know what? Um, I know I want to attend when you reschedule. On the other hand, there are some people who probably just can't afford to have that money tied up when their livelihood is, is potentially in flux. So um, we will make the right decision on that. I have to figure out how to do it. And that's like a practical logistical, how do I do that in Eventbrite? But I'll figure it out. Um, good news is that all our sponsors are still on board. We have had many, many emails in support of this decision. Mostly, wow, that was hard. Wow, we're disappointed, but it's the right thing to do. So. Uh, things have happened since we made that decision. You know, it, it felt like sort of, well, we're stepping off the ledge here, but there were a lot of things that came up after to really confirm that it was the right way to go. Um, in Ontario, all publicly funded schools are now closed for three weeks. Uh, universities are suspending classes. And uh, one of the theaters where my husband did a lighting design had their last performance last night, and they will not have any more performances till May the 3rd. So, you know, we needed to get on board. So that's um, 
I don't know. What else would you like to know? That's pretty That's comprehensive. Pretty comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to, you know, have the opportunity to bring an update because I listened back to the original podcast from Monday. Is it really only a few days ago? Yes. Um, and parts of it felt a little cringy. Like I, I, I am still confident that that decision was appropriate in that moment. But now that I look back and I see where we are even just days later, I wanted a chance to revisit for people so that they can go, wow, you know, you can make a decision that you feel good with and then you have to change. And that's, that's exactly what we had to do. Um, and I've, because you haven't cut me off yet, I'm going to carry on for a second um, because I just want people to be thinking about the things that you can do. It's not going to make this pandemic go away, but we can look after each other. I encourage anyone who has staff to be as generous as you can be. You may not be able to keep everyone on full time, but if you can, this is the time to, to do those things. Really watch out for your freelancers, the people who don't have any kind of guaranteed income or sick days, because they're going to be hurting. It's tough already, and it's it's going to last for a while. Yeah, I'm really worried about the freelance community, <sighs> and we're locally we're we're looking at things we can do to help them find other work, help them help have us do some maintenance stuff here in small groups as long as everyone's mm -hmm. healthy. Uh, Furman University is closed. We are not doing any more events for at least the next two weeks. All the students are um, on spring break, and they were. They're going to get an extra week of spring break and then do uh, remote learning, which is something that many, many universities are doing okay. um, to, to keep students out of uh, close living situations where any illness just spreads. And if it has the potential to turn serious, it's hard for a university to be able to provide that level of medical support and quarantine uh, circumstances for that large of a population. So that's, that's those decisions that universities are making, um, which I know a lot of venues are at universities. So many of us mm -hmm. either install gear or take gear to or work at or perform at venues that are associated with schools or cities. So those, those decisions are hard. Uh, so yeah, to echo what Janet said, please, anything we can do to help our, our freelance um, temporary event staff, what, whatever they're called in, in your world, anything we can do to help them out and check in with them, make sure that they are not struggling with mental health issues or if they need support in any way, please see if we can help support all of us as we go through this extraordinary time. Mm -hmm. um, earlier, Steve had made a statement before we started recording about you know, times like this. And I asked him, I was like, have you been through times like this before? <laughs> no, he hadn't. <laughs> well, interestingly, I was in touch with my former manager from the Stratford Festival yesterday. I sent a message and said, wow, 17 years ago today, we didn't know anything about SARS. And look, right. here we are again. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, we have that experience, which if you're old enough and you're in Ontario, it's a very vivid memory. Um, and, you know, I, I can offer some optimism in that we recovered. Yeah, we got back. Will pass. And it will pass. 
but we've got to take it really seriously right now. Yes. Um, you were talking about medical support and just as a slight tangent, um, our healthcare professionals, our public health people, they are putting in like the longest tech week we have ever known. And if you know any of them, um, offer them your support, like an email, a phone call, a text, because they are really in the trenches right now and it is not going to end anytime soon. No, so, um, so I think there are no easy answers, but I'm, I'm lucky to have great people in my life. Some of them are far away and I see them on video. Uh, some of them are in the city and I can talk to them. Uh, that's what's going to sustain us all, I think. And that just may be the smart thing to do for a while. <clears throat> you know, I, I was writing to my law students because Arizona State University has gone virtual and my students are coming back from spring break now. And I wrote to them and I said, we're going to continue class. It won't be class like it has been. It will be different, but we're still going to teach the same basic principles because when we come out of this, we're going to come out different, hopefully smarter, but the same basic things will still have to get accomplished and the same, in that case, legal principles will still apply. So let's hold class you know, virtually, and we'll make it fun. And, you know, the dress code, not that there ever was one, is completely suspended. Show up in your pajamas so long as you're decent. <laughs> and, you know, we'll make some fun out of a difficult situation because we have to. We just have to. And, and Janet, I, I like that your story, at least so far, is ending with people are working together. They are breaking the rules that they could enforce with the recognition that we're all in this together. And the only way that we're all going to survive, all of us, is by not seeking every last dollar, every last opportunity, but rather being mindful that we truly are all in this together. And, you know, if we don't watch out for the people who are, you know, independent contractors living paycheck to paycheck, well, when the shows are ready to go back on, there won't be anyone to, you know, unload road cases or make sure that the site is ready or provide security or do any of the countless other things that are done by people who it would be easy for folks at the top to simply forget about as they focus on whether this is a force majeure event or whether, you know, there is cancellation insurance coverage that applies. We truly are all in this together. So speaking of all in this together, we were going to, you know, see you all at USITT. And of course, we're not now because USITT has made the reasonable decision to cancel. Uh, one of the things we were going to do there, we were going to invite you guys to come and share your personal origin stories, like the ones that we're about to share next on this podcast. Um, since we're not going to have that opportunity to see you in person, we are going to invite you to email us if you would like to be part of a podcast and share your origin story. Okay, so you can email us at info at eventsafetyalliance.org and we will get back to you and see if we can arrange to do a recording and then your story can be shared with everyone since, you know what, most of us are going to have some time. We're, right now, we're specifically looking for your safety origin story. But uh, if you have other ideas, feel free to share them. 
we reserve the right to make reasonable decisions. <laughs> well, and, and just to tease out an idea, I suspect that since we all will have time on our hands, and there's a very specific reason for that, I think it would be cool to find out what useful things are we doing right now? How are we spending all this unscheduled, unanticipated free time? So if you have a story like that, you know, mm -hmm. essentially, how am I spending my extended snow days? Uh, let us know. So, Danielle, what's that email address again? Info at eventsafetyalliance.org. Yeah, so... I cannot wait to see everybody's responses. Yeah, write to us, because we're all looking for things to do. And in fact, I'll, I'll well, tease now... not that, yet. <laughs> well, I have a whole bunch of things to put to bed, and then I will have nothing but free time. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of where this is going. So, yes, it's going to be an extended snow day for everybody for, you know, some period of time. And for the next event safety podcast that we're going to record, at least the next one that we have teed up, because, again things change, so we reserve the right to change our minds. But the next one that we currently contemplate is, you know, tentatively titled, While We're All Hunkered Down, essentially, how did we spend our unscheduled, unanticipated time? You know, what useful things did we accomplish, whether it's, you know, doing work like Danielle, or, I don't know, practicing our musical instruments that we don't have time to do or, you know, reading up on books or just laying in the sun, which I'm hoping comes out again here in Scottsdale. So that's, uh, that is a glass half full podcast that we are looking forward to recording because we will get out of this, just not, yeah. not immediately. I have seen online a bunch of opportunities where people are sharing uh, online learning resources. So if you're bored, you can learn from sure how microphones work or all these other people have some really great, hey, you have time now? <laughs> We've got things for you. So look around. We're, we're all in this together. Yep. So with that, let's segue to the other part of this event safety podcast. Um, so this will remind us that the show will go on because it will, it really will. And I, I'm speaking to encourage myself as well as those of you who are listening right now because, gosh, it seems bleak, but I know that it won't always be like this. So next we're going to air a couple of interviews. Again, these were recorded at Rock Lidditz uh, during the Event Safety Summit in November 2019. So the first one that we're going to tee up is Bob Ross from Pyrotechnico, uh, who sustained a very serious injury and a teachable moment from that. Um, tough way to gain that knowledge. But Bob, thankfully, is in our industry working and able to tell his story. So I um, encourage you to listen to Bob Ross from Pyrotechnico. Uh, and we also have Brian Osborne from Live Technologies, and he has a great story about collaboration. Even with business competitors, it is important to share information, in this case, safety information, which dovetails nicely with what Janet was talking about with regard to you know, Art Gallery of Ontario and, and the hotel where she had a room block, which is working together cooperatively, collaboratively, even with your competitors is so important because there are some things that are simply not competitive. Safety, security, health, those are not zero-sum games. 
those are things where if we share, we'll all be better. We'll all do well. And it's good for each of us individually and our industry writ large. So those are our two stories, Bob Ross and then Brian Osborne. Um, take a listen. Welcome back to pod two here at Rock Linnets. I'm here with Bob Ross. Bob, what is your safety origin story? So well, my name is Bob Ross. I'm a pyrotechnician for over 22 years, and I'm the COO for Pyrotechnico, a Pittsburgh-based company. Uh, what draw, drew me to safety was in 2005, I was fortunate to be part of a show. It was an award show that doesn't exist anymore called the Rock Honors Show that took place in Las Vegas, Nevada. And we were in the middle of dress rehearsals for the show, and this stage setup was a turntable revolve. And we, one of the bands being honored was KISS. And with KISS comes a traditional set with a lot of speakers stacked in different tiers. Um, we had gotten through the rehearsal, had a successful rehearsal. And uh, during the stage changeover, I was unplugging my main cables so they could take the set pieces off. And I was on the stage right side and a Marshall 12, or Marshall 12 or 412 speaker fell from a height of 10 feet and landed on top of my head. And uh, that was a big moment for me. Um, when that happened initially, it, uh, I thought somebody punched me. I turned around, but nobody was there. It was me between a video wall and a bunch of set cards. And uh, then I looked down, wondering what had happened. And initially, the first thing I heard was the sound of blood splattering on the marley and realized it was me that was hit by something and still hadn't seen the speaker really clued in. And, uh, yeah, grabbed my shirt, pulled it over my head and started yelling, man down, apparently, so my friends and colleagues have told me. And, you know, I looked at that incident was on the stage left side, and I had toured with KISS for a number of years, and the 10-foot level was always ratchet strapped down. Stage left had ratchet straps. Stage right got missed that day. Uh, my life was affected permanently over a $10 ratchet strap. I used to be 5'10". I'm now 5'9". I lost three discs in my neck. And the state deem me as disabled as 13%. My mother probably called it 50. But, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that was a big change for me. And at that time, I had also been, had the pleasure of touring with Jim Digby through the years, back in many of the OzFest tours. And we had shared conversations, and as ESA was starting up, you know, I had a, you know, to me it was passionate, I was very passionate to ensure that this didn't happen to others. You know, it was a, a three-minute moment that could have prevented something from happening to somebody. It was a $10 ratchet strap. It was just about not being complacent. And, you know, I, the band was supportive. I was fortunate my employer at the time was supportive through my physical therapy and getting better, you know, recovering from that incident. You know, my mentality was the show must go on. I checked myself out of the hospital the next morning and showed up for show day because I was the license, the pyro license on the show, and I'm like, oh, the show has to happen. And they literally wheeled me in in a wheelchair, parked me in the pyro room, so I was on site for the fire marshal. The show happened. I went back home. And, uh, you know, these are things that, you know, we're in an industry where we are such passionate people and we get to create oohs and ahs for so many people that we bring joy to in the world. And that's what does it for me. Um, 
you know, and in that time, during that time of physical therapy or that I was going through for some of the compression of my neck, I was, remember sitting in the uh, waiting room for my session, and there was uh, 2005, I guess there was a big push on Wendy's, the fast food chain. Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's, there was a commercial running, and there was a commercial ran that somebody said, you know, Dave, why are your burgers square? He said, because we don't cut corners. And that stuck in my mind in 2005. And when I go to bed at night or a decision I make in the organization I run or any of the events I've been on, it's did I cut a corner? Could I have done it better? And make sure that the answer is never no. I don't cut a corner, and yes, I can do it better. And that's something that you know drove me towards ESA. I was proud to be part of the organization. Jim, Steve, and Don brought me up in 2015. I got to make a presentation to the organization during the uh, safety summit. And it's, just been, it's been a great outlet for me to continue education and be part of sharing with people how we can do things better, how we can ensure people get home safely at night, and how you know, being complacent doesn't have a place in our industry. And that's the story I wanted to share that drove me to the ESA and why I'm still here and uh, why I still enjoy meeting up and meeting so many new faces every year. I, mean, I remember the first one I attended was under 100 people, and we were in the Tate Tower lunchroom. And to see what's here today, I missed uh, last year's seminar, but to see the turnout this year and to see the people and the mind, so many great and bright minds around I know I don't uh, tell kind of the second city, the uh, second city story as Monica does, or sing a song. But I uh, I appreciate getting to share this with everyone here, and uh, you know, be accountable for yourself and educate your people because you know the things we do not only bring joy, but the things we cut corners on don't bring joy to people, and uh, it happens so quick. I mean, I I never saw it coming. Yeah. So thanks for the story. Bob Ross. Thank you, Bob. We are here at Pod 2 at Rock Lidditz, and I'm talking about safety origin stories now with Brian Osborne. Thank you. Um, this is less of an origin story, but more of an application story. Um, I was a, a thankful I, I work with a pretty progressive-thinking employer. Um, when we caught wind of the Event Safety Alliance, Early in its inception, we decided that it was something we needed to get behind. So we became members pretty early on. After attending a summit, you know, I brought the message back to our team and thought, what would a, what would a reasonable employer do with this message? The, the crowd safety, the, the team training, the, the standards, and so on that, that we should be taking home. And I should apply it to my team. That would, that would be the reasonable thing to do, right? So I work on my team. We establish processes. We, we coach. We communicate. We document. We train. Um, is that good enough? Is, is that enough to really to influence the industry? And that um, went to another summit, got more information, got more it networked more, got more uh, training, brought it home. Is this still good enough? No, it doesn't feel right. So what can I do to uh, really spread the message to more of the region that I'm working in? Um, I took a moment and considered what 
what we do as production companies, the the amount of resources we pull together, the the stagehands, the variable labor, the freelancers, the the people on our team, the the venues, you know, in, in, in further and further, just, just spread this out to, there are so many hundreds of people that come together to produce an event. Is it enough to train my team? Is it enough to just communicate my message to the other people involved? And it didn't sit right with me. It, it wasn't enough. Um, so from there, I went to a competitor down the road that we, uh, regularly compete in the same area, but we use the same the same freelance pool. We use the same stagehand union. We use the non-union labor. We use the same venues at every one of our competing events. And a little boldly, I knocked on their door, asked for their human resources manager, and said, I want to have a conversation about the the processes and policies that we all have and how we can uh, how we can raise the bar for safety in our region. You know, taking a more uh, uh, global approach to our standards. They provide some sort of standards. I provide other standards. If a if a technician goes to one of our events, why shouldn't he have he or she have the PPE that applies to both companies? Why shouldn't both companies have the same standard? And so had this great discussion with them. They were very open to it. They, they said, this is great. We love this. We want to we wanna partner with you. Um, we together broadened out further and contacted venues, contacted you know, the union and non-union labor, um, started reaching out to the other production companies together, and decided to establish a branch of the Event Safety Alliance, actually an affiliate of the Event Safety Alliance. And take a region, uh, regional approach and take the life safety first message and put it to boots on the ground, small and medium-sized production companies who may not have the budget to send you know, a team to the Vent Safety Summit, who may not have the, the, the funds to become you know, bronze or, or, or further level sponsors of the ESA. But still, it's, it's critical that these technicians and, and people in the field get this message and get this training. So we really deconstructed the, the message and figured a way to, to apply it to our team, um, not our team, our, our region, you know, and look beyond just the people that we employ. Further, we had discussions with our, um, our Bureau of Workers' Compensation, got support from them, uh, achieved support from, the, from Don Cooper. You know, he was really supportive of the message because he is from Ohio. I'm from Ohio, so this is this is, you know, uh, in his heart as well. Um, so had had discussions with the Event Safety Alliance, which was really, um, uh, uh, which really uh, uh, endorsed the um, the mission that we were trying to take to the ground. Um, it it ended up becoming a um, a regionally based, Ohio supported, BWC supported um, safety council that every month we have a roundtable where we can get together as competing companies, as you know, respectful companies, and say, how do you approach X, Y, Z? And we share information because there, there should be no competition when it comes to safety practices. So that's my, my story. It's more of an application than origin. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Brian Osborne. Well, we want to thank Bob and Brian for taking the time to share their stories. 
uh, and then we have shared them with you. We also want to thank you all for listening and really support each other right now. If there's something we can do to help, if we can, we are certainly willing to. Uh, email us, info at eventsafetyalliance.org. Steve, any final thoughts? Um, no, I'd just like to thank our podcast participants today, so particularly Janet Celery from Celery Health and Safety. Yay, and Janet! Head, yay, Janet! <laughs> uh, yay, Janet, for making the right decision, making it timely, and then getting the message out um, so that people know what's going on. Information is a great antidote to fear, so well done, uh, Janet, and we look forward to when you're able to reschedule because... I think we'll be heading up to Toronto. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you again in the future. Stay safe and well, everybody. 